Welcome, listeners, to Corbett Roads Summer 2021 Podcast Edition. I'm your host, Jeff McCoy, Managing Partner for Corbett Road. Today, I would like to welcome Rush Zarabian, Head Portfolio Manager for Corbett Road Investment Partners. Welcome, Rush. Hello, Jeff. And Rush, thanks for joining us today. What I'd like to do is talk about some of the patterns and themes that we can identify going forward for 2021, some of the economic factors that we may see impact or affect the markets negatively, some of the common themes we may uh, see with the Delta COVID variant and how that may impact markets. Let's start, obviously, probably the hot topic of today, which is inflation. It's in every news station. It's in every print. It's been part of every earnings report coming out by companies. Let's start with our outlook on inflation. I know we covered it in previous macro musings report. What's our concerns at this point? Is it transitory? Or do you think this is more structural in nature? Well, I'd say our view is that it is mostly transitory. If we were to diverge from the consensus, it would be to say that we think inflation could come in a little bit higher next year than the consensus, which is to go back to the previous trend. But in order to sort of assess what we think is going to happen, we have to look at what has happened with inflation. Why is it you know, at multi-decade highs in some cases? We highlighted this in our macro musings last week, which is it continues to be a, a reopening and a supply chain issue with inflation right now. So the reopening is just a matter of restaurants coming back online, travel coming back online, and the pricing pressure seen there. You've probably read stories about how employers are having a tough time finding people to come back to work. There's several factors to that that are causing that, but it is an absolute fact right now. So there's been wage pressure in these industries trying to increase pay to try to coax people back to work. Uh, the other thing is the biggest driver really has been the used vehicles and parts. There is a huge supply chain issue with semiconductors, and that has slowed down the ability for automakers to build enough vehicles. And what that's done is cause the used car market to explode higher in terms of price. And I saw some statistic last week that showed that a one-year-old used vehicle is essentially selling at parity with a brand new vehicle, which is unheard of. But all those things have had a strong impact on different measures of inflation and have been the driving factor for the, the change in prices. Yeah, that's also spilling over to the housing market as well, is it not, uh, Rush? I think there was a report in June that we saw one of the highest price increases we have seen in years. I think it was like 16.4%. You know, do we see this trend continue in the housing market as well? And what are some of the things that are impacting the pricing for those individuals that are trying to move? Well, housing has also been sort of affected by supply chain issues and not being able to get certain equipment, a certain delay. There's long delays with some of the things that the builders need to complete a home. The biggest issue there, I think, was lumber. Back when the pandemic started, all the sawmills essentially shut down thinking that, hey, no one's going to want to buy a home for the, you know, the next three to six months, they didn't really even know. But as it turns out, uh, the housing market exploded as people wanted to either buy second homes or get away from the city. There was a lot of trends driving that. So the, the sawmills sort of got flat-footed and lumber prices exploded higher. At some point, builders said, hey, you know, we can't, we don't know how much money we're going to make on this. So we really can't continue building at this pace when lumber prices are so out of whack. Now, what we've seen with lumber is that prices have come way down. And we're starting to see buyers sort of bulk at the price increases and the housing market has actually kind of cooled off here in the last few months. You know, although rates are low and the demand is strong, people 
saw these increases and said, you know what, we're just going to wait. So hopefully we're seeing some tempering there. As well with the, the auto industry, we're also seeing the used car prices seeming to peak, which should help reduce inflation pressures. But you know, all this is really just related to after effects from the pandemic. This all happened very quickly, and it's very hard to turn these industries just completely back on in just a matter of weeks. This stuff takes time. And I think a lot of the uh, inflation and supply chain issues you're seeing is a result of just a massive broad reopening after basically shutting down for an entire year. In terms of our, our outlook with inflation, we mentioned that it could be a little higher than maybe the consensus is a year out. But really, that will depend on the sustainability in the growth of wages. Wages seem to be the strongest predictor in terms of sustainable inflation, at least in, in the last few decades. And so we'll see if this recent trend of increase in wages to lure people back into the workforce will stick around. And if it does, then you probably would see inflation come in a little higher than expected. Yeah, Rush, that leads me to the next question coming in is that we're seeing some strange behavior in the fixed income or bond market, especially at the 10 and 30 year, which is very odd. And all the inflation data that we're reading that typically you see a rise in rates, but that's not what's happening in the bond market. We're actually seeing bond yields come down in the long term, which kind of leads into, is this transitional or is it structural? And I, I think the argument there is that the market still believes this is transitional. What are your thoughts on that and interest rates going forward? Uh, well, let's just come out and say it. The action in the bond market, specifically the 10-year treasury, it is, to quote Alan Greenspan, a bit of a conundrum. You had, like I said, the 20-year highs in inflation, multi-decade highs, Economic growth is expected to come in over six, six and a half percent in the second quarter. It was very strong in the first quarter as well, and uh, Q4 of 2020. So you have strong economic growth, you have multi decade high inflation, and yet the 10 year treasury peaked in March and has fallen about 50 basis points or 0.5%. It's very unusual behavior because inflation is the enemy of bonds. If anything's going to destroy your return from bonds, it's inflation over the long term. So why are bond yields falling? And you know, there's probably multiple factors that are, are driving this. The biggest one we think is that the Fed continues quantitative easing, and, and they're still buying over $100 billion worth of bonds per month. So the Fed each month buys $100, $120 billion of treasuries and mortgage bonds, and that takes supply out of the market less supply, then yields fall. The other thing I think it might be even more simpler is that German bonds are yielding negative 0.4%. The German, the 10-year German Bund is at negative 0.4%. Japanese bonds are at zero. At some point, US bonds are going to be very attractive to foreign investors, even with the currency differentials and the cost of hedging against those currency differentials. It's really tough for the treasury, the 10-year treasury to be that much higher when other high quality bonds like Germany's are yielding negative. I think that might be the biggest factor, although the Fed's quantitative easing continues to take supply out of the market. They're set to reduce and starting to start tapering those purchases sometime either later this year or early next year. So we think that uh, that's been the two primary factors of why yields have pulled back. It doesn't look like growth, which is another driver of long-term yields. Typically, when growth is going up, global growth yields rise, and when it, when it turns down, yields fall. Uh, we haven't seen any evidence that growth is going down. 
it may have peaked. It's certainly, it's likely to have peaked in the second quarter, but that doesn't mean that it's going to be going negative. And that doesn't mean that GDP growth is not going to remain pretty robust here through the course of the year. So we're looking at technical factors like that, again, comparing us to international bonds and the Fed purchases as helping keep bond yields low and preventing them from rising above 2%, which was pretty much the consensus back in the spring was that bonds were exploding higher and they were headed above 2%. Well, that kind of leads me to next question. So for our listeners out there, what exactly does that mean from an investment standpoint, from a fixed income environment or bond environment? Kind of explain what we may see going forward. And what is our outlook really for the remainder of the year from an economic standpoint? Well, our expectation is that bond yields are more probable to go up than down at this point. We're about 0.75% from that 2% threshold that I mentioned earlier. So we think it's more likely that we see 2% before we see half a percent, which is what the 10-year was yielding in the summer of 2020 during the, the pandemic. So our expectation is that bond yields will rise, but we want to be careful because the bond yields have basically done the opposite of what everyone thought, which was that they were going to be already at 2% here by the summer, and, and they went in the opposite direction. We just think that growth will remain robust, that inflation, although it's likely to be transitory, that we won't see these kinds of levels of inflation going forward over the next six to 12 months. It'll still be higher than it has been than it was during the 2010 to 2020 period. So th those combined factors, the fact that the Fed is going to start tapering, and um, we're still looking to see what uh, Congress does with an infrastructure package, which could result in more debt issuance. So I would expect the yields to go up, but the violent rise in yields that we saw in the spring hopefully that that won't take place because that really disrupts credit markets. And certainly clients probably recognize that fixed income had a really bad Q1. It was the worst quarter for treasuries, I believe in almost 40 years. So part of the, the rally in bonds perhaps was to be a little expected as there might've been some rebalancing effects as well, where people were buying bonds because they had done so poorly. So their, their allocations, their equity to fixed allocations were a bit out of whack. And bonds did have a nice second quarter. They rebounded. And they showed also that it's not necessarily that they exist only to provide yield, but to provide a counter to, to equities and to tamp, dampen some of that volatility down. So they seem to still be doing that function. And Rush, while we're on this topic and we continue to talk about inflation and also the long end of the bond market actually signaling maybe inflation may not be a risk, but could there be another factor there? For example, that rates are dropping because of our anticipation of lower economic growth going forward. And that could be directly related to the COVID variant that we hear, the Delta variant. You know, Kind of get into what your feelings are at this point in time, or what our thoughts are on how the Delta variant may impact economic growth going forward. Well, let's first state um, that we do think economic growth peaked, has already peaked in the United States. GDP growth probably is going to come in at its highest level in the second quarter and drop from here. It doesn't mean, again, that it's going to be negative or you know, signal any sort of real economic slowdown. It just means it has to come down from a high level at some point. The second point, regarding the Delta variant, so far what we've seen is not that it's going to be major concern for global growth. There may be slowdowns at the margins here or there, but I think you look at the two biggest economies in the world, that is the United States and the European Union plus the United Kingdom. Those two economies have seen the highest and most successful vaccination rates in the world. So if you look at those two large economies, they're already 
mostly insulated, protected from COVID and, and the any future variants. Other economies have not seen nearly the successful vaccination rate, but that's changing every day. Uh, from what we've read, the globe is vaccinating roughly 30 to 35 million people a day. That will continue likely uh, for the next year and a half. And so we are headed in the right direction. This is not like last year or the su- last summer where no one was protected and there were concerns about outbreaks going forward. Things are improving significantly. And we think those factors will help economic growth sustain. And a little regional issues here or there certainly is possible, but you look at the biggest economies and you look at the biggest states here in the U.S. You have to look at California, you have to look at Texas, New York. Those three states are responsible for almost a third of GDP. And so we think that the Delta variant, although concerning, perhaps from a health perspective, from an economic perspective, has a minor impact as of right now. And Raj, to wrap up, we've not seen a significant correction in the market since October of 2020. And significant means five percentage points or greater. Does that mean for us that the next correction phase is going to be longer and deeper? What are our thoughts there? Well, it's true that uh, the S&P 500 has not seen a 5% closing correction uh, since October 2020. There's actually been sort of these rolling corrections this year, even though the market's done extremely well. Back in February, the NASDAQ had a 10% sell-off. That's when yields were rising and there was a sell-off in long, uh, long duration growth stocks and technology stocks. And then in the last few months, the more traditional value stocks and more cyclically sensitive stocks also experienced a decline. So what you've seen is the index has remained pretty steady, but underneath you've had these sort of rolling corrections. To your broader question, you know, historically, there's no evidence that going a long time without a 5% decline leads to greater declines when the next correction finally comes. Uh, so said another way, just because we haven't had a correction in 10 months, doesn't mean the next one has to be large or long just to make up for it. That's not how markets work. There's got to be uh, several you know, factors that will drive when we do finally see a decline. And that includes you know, monetary policy. That includes you know, any geopolitical events that spook investors. It's really hard to say exactly how much the next decline will be. Our view is that without a major economic trigger that Whatever correction we get, whether it's 5%, 10%, even 15%, most likely will not be a sustained recessionary bear market like we saw in 2008 and like we saw very temporarily in March of 2020 during the inception of the pandemic. So to answer your question, just because we haven't had one since October doesn't mean we're due for a big one, and that's not what we're anticipating right now. Well, as always, Rush, I really appreciate your thoughts and insight, and thank you for joining us today. I would like to thank our listeners for tuning in today. If you have any questions about today's podcast, feel free to email or call with your questions. We are glad to help in any way. Our contact information can be found on our website at www.corbettroad.com. Until next time, I'm your host, Jeff McCoy. Thank you.